Well, good morning again, church. We're going to be in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. If you've got a Bible and you want to go there, you can. It'll also be on the screen behind me, so don't sweat it. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen. <clears throat> We're going to talk about something today that I don't talk a lot about. But I think it's an important thing to think about as we're ending this year and we're heading into 2020 and you're considering how you're going to be part of the ministry of this church in 2020. <clears throat> and then I'll also make this point in just a second. It's an important thing to talk about because Jesus talks a lot about this and scripture talks a lot about this. And we'll come back to that. But let me just say we would be remiss if we never talk about it. So I don't talk about it often, but we're going to just talk about it today. And that is our treasure. So let's take a look at Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. <clears throat> for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Reading about treasure probably makes you think of the same person I'm thinking about, Indiana Jones, right? Amen. And um, remember that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indiana Jones is deep in this Peruvian temple and he's about to grab this golden treasure, this idol. All right. And he has navigated all these booby traps to get to this point. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about treasure. In fact, Scripture has a lot to say about our money. In fact, if you're going to look at, at Scripture in the New Testament, and you're going to look at what it talks most about when it comes to personal issues in our lives, you'd probably say Scripture talks most about two things, our money and our short word, three letters, starts with S and ends with X, right? Okay. All right, you filled in the blank there. And um, which is to say Scripture cares about the things you care about. Scripture is thinking about the things that you are thinking about. And we're not going to talk about that second one today. We're only going to talk about treasure. So you're, you're a little bit relieved about that, I can tell. But Jesus says this about our treasure, and it's a pretty hard word. He says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves, think Indiana Jones, break in and steal. Now, when Jesus says this, everybody listening, this is the Sermon on the Mount, everybody listening to him on that mountainside, is thinking about one person, and it's not Indiana Jones, it's Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon a couple hundred years before Jesus arrives on the scene. And Babylon, as the story goes, rolls into Jerusalem and sends the Israelites into exile for a long time. And Nebuchadnezzar's first act of business when he rolls into Jerusalem is head to the temple where all the treasure is, in the creatively named Temple Treasury, okay? And he goes to the Temple Treasury, and his first act of business is to rob the Jewish temple blind. So Nebuchadnezzar takes that treasure, and he puts it where? Does anybody remember? We read this in Daniel. He puts it in his Temple Treasury. And you know what happens to it? It gets robbed. Okay, the Persians come and they steal all that treasure that he stole from the Israelites. It just keeps getting robbed. So apparently nobody is learning this lesson that Jesus is teaching. And it really makes you think about where I put my treasure and where you put your treasure. And we tend to think that we put our treasure in safe places like safes. Uh, Lindsay and I inherited a 50-year-old safe from her grandparents when they, they passed this last year. It had been bolted in their closet for 50 years, and they were going to throw it out, but they decided they would 
they would give it to us. And so we took it because up until that point, we had kept all of our important documents like passports, social security cards, birth certificates in a shoebox in the closet. And that seemed like, like not very adult of us. And so I figured, man, eh, it's time I start adulting a little bit. And so we brought this safe back from Dallas. We spent about an hour collecting all the pieces of treasure we're going to put in this safe. We close it shut. I turn the knob. And it's only then I realized I never checked the combination. It turns out this combination from 50 years ago was the wrong one for this safe. And uh, suddenly I couldn't get to those things I thought I was keeping safe in that safe. Like suddenly my treasures were locked up and I couldn't get to them, right? So Jesus talks about just how vulnerable our treasures are. Moth and rust destroy those things, vermin in this passage. Thieves break in and steal those things. But then he makes this other point. It's the really, it's the more important point in this passage. And that is we think we are locking our treasures up. And in reality, our treasures lock us up. He says it like this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to know this is true. In fact, if you're our guest today, you're just, you just popped in today to see what this church thing is about, and you're not sure about God, and you're not sure about Jesus, well, you know this is true in your life. Where your treasure is, there your heart is too. And what I mean by that is I could look at your bank account, you could look at my bank account and bank statement. It, we could look at anybody's account in this room or in Memphis, and we could tell what they care most about just by looking at their bank account, right? I mean, we could tell what they love, what they give their heart to, based on what they're spending their money on. But that's not all Jesus is saying. It's worse. He, he goes on to say this in this verse I know you remember in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. You cannot serve both God and money. He's saying that we think we're Indiana Jones. And we think, oh, I've got this whip. I've got this really cool hat. I'm really dashing. And I'm going to run into this little Peruvian temple. I'm going to grab the treasure and I'm going to get out of there. I'm going to get in and out with the treasure and I'm not in danger of getting trapped. I'm just going to get in and out. It's not going to master me. I've done this a lot of times. I can spend my money on various things. They're not going to have my heart. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. And Jesus says, how'd that turn out for Indiana? Actually, Jesus didn't say that. Eric says that, right? How's that turn out for you? And how's that turn out for me, right? There's all these things that I spend money on that I realize I give more of my heart to those things than I should. And Jesus says, what if that happens to the most important thing in your life, which is your heart? What if you wake up one day and your heart that you thought was beating right here is actually somewhere else and that safe is locked and you can't get to it anymore? Only he says, it's not a what if question. It's just a statement of fact for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Now, Eric, why are you talking about my treasure? Well, it's because it's always easier to talk about somebody else's treasure than it is to talk about yours, right? Okay. But the reason I'm talking about your treasure is because the New Testament tells me as one of your ministers and tells us as a church that we are supposed to care about your heart. And that we're the only ones who really care about your heart. Now, you might say, well, you know, my family cares about my heart. 
They probably do. My cardiologist cares about my heart. And he or she probably does. But the church cares about your heart in a different way than both of those. Okay, we care about your heart eternally. And the reason the church cares about your heart is because we know the stakes. Okay, this is what the New Testament tells us about your heart. In 2 Corinthians, we read that the heart is where God places his spirit, your guarantee of salvation. It resides inside your heart. He goes on to say this, Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The light of God and the glory of God resides in your heart. And that's why Paul says in Philippians that the peace of God that transcends understanding is going to come and guard your hearts because of what he says in Romans. It's with our hearts that we believe in God and are justified. A lot happens in the heart. In fact, the heart, okay, your insights are mentioned 149 times in the New Testament. You're going to be hard-pressed to find a word in the New Testament that is, comes, comes about more than 149 times, except for maybe and. Right? You're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find any word that occurs that many times in the New Testament. And the message is really clear. The New Testament is the church's book. Here's the message. Church, if you don't do anything else, care about the hearts of the people at your church. Care about their heart. We had a men's class a couple Wednesday nights ago, and in that class we had a forum with men from this church who were experts in various different things, and on that forum was a cardiologist. And he's just an awesome guy, I love him dearly, one of my dear brothers. And, but you know what happens anytime you have a doctor in the room or in your family? Like you talk to him and you're just talking about the weather and stuff, and then you're like, you know, I got this weird spot back here, or my, or my knee hurts. You just start asking them all your medical questions. And sure enough, so everybody's just asking them questions about how to, to be healthy to this doctor. And so at one point, somebody asked this doctor, this cardiologist, okay, what's the most important thing I need to do for my heart? What's the most important thing I need to do for my heart? And he said, well, that's easy. Stop smoking yesterday. He said, we now know how much damage smoking does to the heart. We always knew it did damage to the lungs. We now know it destroys the heart. And there's a lot of things you can do to protect your heart. But the most important thing is don't smoke. And I know it's addictive and I understand that. But just let me challenge you all in this room if you're smoking not to smoke, he said. And somebody raised their hand and they said, what about vaping? He said, you are not listening to me. <laughs> okay. Now, if you were to ask the church, what's the most important thing to do to protect our heart? You know, our concern about the heart is a little bit different than the cardiologist's concern. We've got an eternal concern for your heart. And if you were to ask the body of Christ, or if you were to ask Christ himself, what is the most important thing I can do for my heart? He would say this, pay attention to where you put your treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I said that, that ministers are supposed to talk about this every once in a while, and it's not the thing I want to talk about most often, but Paul says this to Timothy, and he's instructing a minister about how to instruct his church. And this is what he says. Pay attention. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Think about Indiana Jones. 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Think about that pit Jones jumps over. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. It's like without them knowing, all of a sudden their heart is just gone. It's gotten locked up in some safe that's out of their reach. And so the church's job, pay attention here, the church's job is to say, watch out for that trap. Pay attention to where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's our job. And I tend to think we're doing a pretty good job of that. And then I'm doing a pretty good job as a minister of watching out for your heart. In fact, let me give you some good news. We had our outreach contribution about a month or two ago where we were trying to raise $290,000 to give to ministries in this city and around the world. And as of this week, we are at $292,000, right? Praise God for that. You can clap for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, right? Well, I'm so thankful for your generosity. You are so generous to give to support those missionaries and ministries all over the world. And I tend to think, when I think about our outreach contribution, I think about the fact that we meet our budget every year, that this church is such a generous church, and that we're doing a pretty good job watching out for your heart. But of course, I'm one of the ministers, one of the preachers, and so of course I think I'm doing a good job. Right? Don't you all think you're doing a good job at your job? Right? And uh, so, you know, the thing about preachers is with numbers that we never look closely. And we tend to round up. We're like fishermen in that. You know, when somebody asks us, how many are there at your church? It grows every time we tell somebody else. Oh, there was this many people there, right? We always, we always round up. Okay. But then you have those pesky people who actually look at the numbers. Nobody likes those people. Right. <clears throat> That's why you really like your preachers. You don't like those people. All right, so we've got some numbers people here, and they are great. They're doing tremendous work. And they recently looked at our numbers, and this is what they, they told me, okay? They looked at how many people give regularly to Highland. And in 2019, about to be 2020, we're going to count that as those who give once a month, not even once a week. And those who give once a month to Highland, can you guess what the percentage is at Highland? The number is 37% give to Highland regularly, at least once a month. If you drop that down to weekly, the number's much lower. It's in the 20th percentile. <clears throat> okay. So if you went to see your heart doctor and he discovered your heart was beating 37% of the time, he'd say, we got to talk about this. That's not sustainable. That's not good for your heart to only be beating 37% of the time. Which is why we need to talk about that. So why, think about this, why do only 37% of us give to Highland regularly, whereas much more of us give to the outreach contribution twice a year and help us pass that goal? Here's what I think it is. And Andy Stanley, one of the preachers I listened to, helped me with this language. He said, it's because we prefer intervention to prevention. We prefer intervention to prevention. Let me try to make sense of that. Uh, Lindsay drove this little tan <clears throat> Infinity sports car during college and end of high school and into college. And um, she would drive that to and from class and to and from work and back home to Dallas and back to Abilene and on trips with her roommates around Texas and various places. And 
drove it all those years during college. And then we got married and she drove it for about six months after we got married. And then the car started acting really funny. So I took it to the shop and the mechanic calls me up later and he says, Eric, he says, it's really bad. When was the last time you changed the oil on this car? I thought about that. Hmm. Well, I don't think I've ever changed Lindsay's oil. And so I called Lindsay and I said, Lindsay, babe, honey, <laughs> when was the last time you changed the oil on, on your car? And she said, oh, I, I've never changed the oil on my car. Um, that's what dads are for. And so I called my new father-in-law, father-in-law. Uh, when was the last time you changed uh, the oil in Lindsay's car? And he said, oh, I, I don't change the oil in Lindsay's car. That's what you're for. <laughs> there was a long silence. He says, you mean you've been dating my daughter all of these years, and I let you marry her, and you have not been changing her oil? <laughs> See you at Christmas, right? <laughs> yeah, it turned out the car was pretty much ruined. Nobody had changed the oil for six years in, uh, in Lindsay's car. Not the best thing for your car. Getting an oil change is preventative. That's what it is, right? You don't get the oil change in your car and pull up to the drive-thru and the person leans out and they're like, ooh, you just got an oil change, didn't you? That looks so good, right? Nobody says that you don't drive faster immediately after you get an oil change. You know, there's nothing exciting or romantic about prevention like an oil change. But I'll tell you what, given to intervene in the life of a little kid who doesn't have parents to help them be adopted into their forever home, that's exciting. Uh, given to help Hope Works turn the life around of a prisoner who has been making bad decisions his whole life and now is employed, providing for his family, following God, that's the kind of intervention that gets us excited. I mean, intervening in China where Hunter Ding, our missionary, is baptizing people in bathtubs secretly in apartments for fear of the government, that feels like James Bond stuff. That is exciting, right? That kind of intervention. And the church does intervention. That's part of what we do. We intervene around the world for the sake of God's kingdom. And we intervene here in your lives all the time. In fact, when you have a heart problem, when you have a moral problem, when you have a family problem, you are going to want us to intervene. And here's my promise. We'll do it. We will be there. But I can tell you really impressive stories of the way Highland has intervened on the mission field in the lives of families here through our missions that we support in our outreach contribution. I can tell you stories about Papua New Guinea of arrows flying over cars as people go to baptize people in these deep jungles. And you get excited about that and you want to intervene in that. But the stories I cannot tell you are the stories of the many families and the many marriages that have been saved. Because families here quietly for year after year got in the Word of God every Sunday morning. And because they were inspired here to be in the Word of God, they were in the Word during the week in their home and their family saw it and their kids saw it. And now their kids are grown and their kids have families of their own and they're in the Word of God and they're following Jesus together. That's prevention. I can't tell you those romantic stories. And I can't tell you the stories about the dads who thought about leaving and decided to stay because their hearts were convicted by something they heard here. And the difference that makes in a family over the years. I can tell you the stories about the women who have always thought they were worthless until they saw themselves the way that Jesus sees them at church. And it changed their whole life. And I can't tell you stories about the kids who are not going to make decisions that will ruin their lives because of the work that Buster and Donnie and Hannah and Michelle 
and Stephanie and others are doing to bless your kids. And you realize that's just prevention. That's what that is. But the bread and butter of the church is prevention for God's glory. That's what we do. And you know what prevention takes? Treasure. That's what it takes. You know, Jesus says that we can invest our treasure in a lot of things, but that so many of those investments are risky investments. You know, one of my closest friends here at Highland when I first moved here, he, he and his wife took Lindsay and I out to eat our first Sunday here. And we were sitting down with him and I was asking him what he did. And he told me what I did for a long time was Blockbuster, but then Netflix, right? He said, I thought it was a sure thing. And it was not a sure thing. Jesus says we invest our treasure in all kinds of things that are not sure. But this is what Jesus tells Peter. He says this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Church, if you, if you are looking for a sure thing to invest your treasure in, let me tell you, there is only one sure thing. And that is the body of Christ. That even hell will not overcome the church. And you might invest your treasure in all kinds of places. But let me tell you, it is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to place your treasure wisely because it will lock your heart up. And there is only one sure thing in this world and that thing will last forever. And it is the body of Christ himself. It is the church. And if you don't want to invest in this church, we're okay. The 37% that are giving to us give really generously and we're going to be fine. But it, to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be investing in a church. So find a church somewhere in town and give to them and come here. That's fine with us. Right? Okay. But you need to be giving somewhere to some church for the sake of your heart. Because I want your heart to be in the right place eternally. That's what this church wants. Paul goes on to tell Timothy this, and this is why I had to talk about this. He says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's really, truly life. He's not saying you need to be poor. He's saying you should be rich. But the way to really be rich, the way to really take hold of that life that is really life, the way to really guard your heart is to invest your treasure in a sure thing. And that's the church. So my job as one of your ministers and our job as a church is to check on your heart, is to take care of your heart. And I know that our hearts get pulled in a lot of different directions. I'm human, right? Our hearts get pulled in a lot of different directions, but what the church as the body of Christ recognizes is that there are a lot of booby traps out there. Things that are trying to trap your heart and hold it for themselves. And I want your heart to be protected eternally. And if you want to give to this church in 2020, if you want to start becoming one of those 37%, if you'd like to help us grow 
that number that are sustaining this church for the sake of God's kingdom and God's glory. I want to challenge you to do that. And if you can't do that, that's okay. Keep coming. We are still going to take care of your heart. It may be harder for us to get to, but we're still going to try. If you want to give to us regularly, you can set it up online. It comes out automatically. You're giving God your first fruits. You can give to us by check. But ultimately, like I said, if you don't give to us, you need to give to a church because your heart needs it. It's not Jesus that needs it. It's not really the church that needs it. It's your heart and mine. Let's stand and sing together. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus, I'd love to receive you in baptism down front. If you'd like prayers, I pray for you down here. We also have shepherds in the back who'd love to pray with you. Let's sing together. This is my desire to honor.